You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your source for news, discussion, and debates about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, joined by Gene Henley. And before we get too started here, I want to say right at the top of the show, we have a YouTube. In fact, some of you may be watching slash listening to this episode on the YouTube channel right now. I'll link it into the show notes, the show description, but just Vol Basketball Fever on YouTube. So we have another way for you guys to follow us, to enjoy the show. We'll have every episode of the podcast will be on there in, in some sort of video form, whether it's just kind of audio with different graphics and stuff playing over. Or here in the future, I'm also going to be implementing some actual video content, um, you know, actually see us talking to each other and things like that. And also some more unique video content coming as well that won't be a podcast. So be on the lookout for that. Go subscribe today if you haven't already. We already have a few subscribers on there. So please go do that. We appreciate those of you who have subscribed. And as always, you can also find us on other social media. We're Vol Hoops Fever on Twitter. Vol Basketball Fever on Facebook, and you can subscribe to us everywhere you get podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, you name it, we are there. Well, Gene, it's a, the cupcake season's over. Tennessee played two more cupcake basketball games uh, over the last week. They dominated both of them, uh, held uh, UNCG to 36 points in a, in a 76-36 win. That was the lowest of the Rick Barnes era, the lowest uh, point total by an opponent in Thompson Bowling Arena history, and that arena has been open since 1987. And then on Tuesday night, Tennessee got a wire-to-wire victory over, uh, I just forgot, over uh, USC Upstate, almost dropped 100. All 15 Tennessee players who saw the court scored in that game. That includes walk-ons Kent Gilbert and Brock Jancic. You also got Adu, uh, Jonas Adu came in and, and scored late, but you got a lot of young guys, a lot of kind of minutes, and I think that was very strategic because that's going to be the last opportunity Tennessee really had to get those guys, some of those guys, uh, some meaningful minutes into a game. But it's also nice to see a guy like Brandon Huntley Hatfield play uh, well in those last two games. But the competition is about to ramp up because Tennessee is going to be taking on Memphis. It's Memphis hate week, Gene. But before we get into all of that, one topic that has kind of dominated Tennessee basketball talk this week. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon, and this was out. I want to say, I want to say it was either by late Monday night or sometime Tuesday when I first saw the story. Um, but it's about Bronny James, who, if you don't know who that is, that is as the name may give it away, LeBron James's son, who is a high four star, is a top fifty overall prospect in the 2023 class. Plays over in you know Los Angeles, uh, where his dad plays right now. That uh, plays for Sierra Canyon over there. Uh, why am I mentioning him? Well, because he was mentioned in an article on 247 Sports, uh, written by Eric Bossi over there. And, and let me just kind of read the little bit here. That that's you know, there's a couple parts here that I think are going to stand out to Tennessee fans, and most of you probably already know <laughs> what we're getting at here. But just bear with me for a second. Nobody in high school basketball is more closely scrutinized than Chatsworth Sierra Canyon Jr. Bronny James. The scrutiny goes up another level each time his father, LeBron James, shows up to watch. Big crowds show up, and most have something to say. Most are there to check out the son of the most famous basketball player on the planet right now, while some, unfortunately, are there to heckle. But there's nothing to heckle about on Saturday night, as James played well, played as well as he ever has in front of 247 Sports. So they kind of go into his game and whatnot. He finished with 11 points, 5 rebounds, 3 steals, and a pair of blocks. 
But they go on here in the bottom here, talking about his recruitment. And it says he's still basically off limits to the media because LeBron, his his dad, is you know not you know wanting to kind of keep attention off his son as much as he can, being his son. Uh, but he's not spoken to the media, has not given out any sort of list or anything like that. Um, anyway, so the article goes on and says he hasn't put out a school list, but some of the teams that Bronny is believed to have interest in include Duke, Ohio State, Tennessee, and Texas, among others. And Gene, that absolutely blew up social media. All, all I saw on Twitter um, during, before, after the, the game on Tuesday night when I was on Twitter more uh, because of the game was talk about Bronny James, was talk about how fans, some fans didn't want him to come there because they don't want LeBron James to be associated with Tennessee's program, how they thought it was going to be a media circus, how some people were saying, you take him no matter what. And, and just back and forth, back and forth, argument as you, you know, shocker to nobody arguing on Twitter and all Twitter. But I think this is significant for a lot of different reasons. And Gene, I'm, I'm really very interested to hear your thoughts on it. But the, the teams you listed, they're Duke, Ohio State, Tennessee, and Texas. I have a, I have a, I have a hard time believing that Brownie would come to Tennessee. I think that, that, he's, that Tennessee's mention has to do with Rick Barnes, the fact that Rick Barnes coached Kevin Durant, and Kevin Durant and LeBron are you know pretty good friends in the NBA, so I know they've talked. I know KD's probably mentioned you know Rick Barnes to LeBron, and of course KD is one of the best all-time one-and-done players from the college ranks, and LeBron obviously didn't go to college. But LeBron had also been on record saying that if he had gone to college, it would have been to Ohio State, because of course he's from Ohio. So Gene, I think people are making a tizzy out of nothing, because I, I just don't think Bronny is going to come to Tennessee in the 23 class. I legitimately do not. But me personally... And feel you know feel free to disagree with me and, and if you're a listener here you know let me know and send a, a comment or or whatever tweet at us or anything like that I would take Bronny in a heartbeat uh, he's a talented player I, I you know he's he's a guy that's a top 50 prospect I, I've watched some of his highlights and stuff he is a versatile player he's listed as a combo guard right now on 247 um, I like a lot of different things he can do he's obviously getting interest from Duke Kansas Kentucky North Carolina those are all teams that have offered I think it's worth noting too that it mentions that in this article that it's believe the teams that he is believed to have interest in not that these teams necessarily have interest in him because to my knowledge Tennessee hasn't extended an offer to Bronny but again they play that very close to the chest so maybe they have and he hasn't made it public or anything like that but Gene this is a to me I understand some of the legitimate concerns people have had about you know if Bronny comes to Tennessee LeBron James is going to be there it's going to be a media circus that could be a big distraction to the team but what could that do to team chemistry I th those arguments I'm willing to listen to and say okay I, I understand the people who are freaking out over the political stuff and whatever y'all can I mean you're all welcome to have your opinion I just very much disagree with you on that one but me personally I would take Bronny as long as he's a good fit and, and I think you make a fit for him if you're Tennessee but this would be a case where LeBron James, if he's at your games, if he's at you know a handful of home games at, in Knoxville, that's the kind of media attention Tennessee's basketball program has never even come close to sniffing. Even the Elite Eight run, where they had chances to go to the Final Four, even if Tennessee makes a Final Four, you know, here in the next couple of years or, or wins a national title, that would be the only thing that a national title is the only thing that could give Tennessee anything close to what the type of media attention they would have if LeBron James's son comes to Tennessee. Yeah, I know you know. Be careful what you wish for, because it could turn into a media circus and it could turn into a distraction. But Gene, I I'm in the camp of I would take Bronny in a heartbeat if he wants to come to Tennessee. As long as Tennessee's coaches, if they evaluate him and think he's a good fit, 
to, to bring him in and he actually legitimately wants to come to Tennessee, I don't know how you say no because that to me is it would be monumental for Tennessee. That would be may not be the highest rated recruit Tennessee's ever gotten, but it would be the one that would have, would have gotten Tennessee the most attention in their program's history. All right, so let me approach this from a couple of different angles. Mm-hmm. Um, first off, um, as I've, I, I constantly talk about during these podcasts, uh, my son's the same age group as Brody. Uh, they're both 2023 20, kids. Uh, so I am we have played in a tournament that Bronny's AAU team was in. Um, and just to speak to kind of what the expectation kind of could be if, you know, say Bronny were to come to Tennessee. So the tournament we played in was in Gatlinburg, and uh, there was, if I recall, um, five, pretty sure it was five Chevy Tahoe that pulled up, maybe six. And the whole team gets out. Obviously, we're all riding in our own vehicles, whatever. We're pulling up to determine their own vehicles. Uh, they have a massive amount of security, and both Bronny's and Bryce, his uh, Bronny's younger, uh, younger brother, who I think is a year behind, their AAU teams come out of, the, uh, of these multiple Chevy Tahoes and walk in, you know, rank and file. Um, and I'll say I will say this much: Would it be an interesting scene? I, I, I will. I'm going to stop short of crazy, but would it be quite a scene if he, if say if Bronny were to come to Tennessee? Yeah, for a while. I'd say I'd say the excitement about it would obviously lead to a lot. Maybe even for a few games, it would lead to a lot. Um, now let me jump to the LeBron stuff. The one of the two or three greatest basketball players of all time. Your school, which, by the way, has never made it past the Elite Eight. So if you can get some positive, you know, some positive publicity, you, know, you should probably take it. You know, like the month that you were number one in the country, that was positive publicity. If you can bring in a kid of LeBron's, of Bronny's caliber, and, and LeBron is added, so be it. Like, again, I saw, when I watched the kid play, I'm sorry, when I've seen videos of the kid, all I've seen LeBron do is just be a supportive parent at his son's game. And and I, and I will go here, too. There's a lot of kids, maybe some who even play for Tennessee right now, who don't have that, who don't have a supportive father at those games. You know, and so so that that actually disappoints me when I hear people suggest that there's something crazy coming because, yeah, I get it. LeBron's one of the greatest basketball players of all time. Forget all the other stuff. I get it. That's going to lead to a lot of people. Um, now, I do think it's funny that he said that he didn't want his son, you know, he, he didn't want his son to, you know, have to go through all the stuff he went through. Well, uh, LeBron, quick side note, LeBron, maybe don't name him, maybe don't name him LeBron James Jr. Just a thought. <laughs> um, but anyway, like, that's, when I, when I see the videos and all, like, and obviously LeBron wasn't at the tournament I was at because it was early May and the Lakers were still in the playoffs, I believe, at the time. And so he wasn't there. So it wasn't like it is added. But it, it was crazy enough as it was. Like, like there were like five rows deep. And I think the same tournament, um, there was a kid, his name is Hansel, I believe. Uh, you know, the people don't know him. 
but what they don't know him by name, but they know him as the one-armed uh, YouTube sensation. Oh, yeah. He was in the, he was in the same tournament. So I'm pretty sure those two teams may have been playing each other. I can't remember. But so imagine trying to see that court. Uh, it was pretty hard. So, um, so yeah, like I, so I, I personally, you know, like I look at this and I'm thinking, man, if you can get in with a kid like that, you get in with a kid like that. Um, like the next, like the next level to this to me is I kind of alluded to it earlier. Tennessee doesn't have the type of history, not even recently, to suggest that maybe the the presence of somebody like LeBron is going to cause some level of distraction. Because what distraction do you all have? Eight Sweet Sixteens and an Elite Eight. Like that could help you. That's the other side of that. Like we don't know how we don't know how that's going to how like if if Bronny were to go to Tennessee, we don't know how that would affect the program. And it's it's actually you know I would you know fan is short for fanatical, so I understand where all that stuff goes. But I'm stunned that more people aren't looking at that from a or almost universally people are looking at it from a a positive perspective because like again since the eighteen nineteen team that was. I mean, I guess maybe there was some feeling that last year's team could compete for a championship. I, you know, I, I get that. Um, but, yeah, since the 18-19 team, they really haven't been perceived to be like a a national brand, a national name. And I don't know where the kid's going to go. I, I found this – I think this is interesting, though. Um, I don't think your highest-level prospects – I think they look for the biggest brands in the country. I don't think they care about the coach. So that Rick Barnes will have little effect on where this kid goes to school. Rick Barnes, Coach K, any of them, like Chris Holtman at Ohio State, um, you know, Chris Beard at Texas Tech, or I'm sorry, at Texas now. Like I, I think that'll have very little effect because these kids aren't going to be there long enough to really be influenced and embraced like that. Like I mean, the fan base will will. I mean, that's no doubt. And I listen those those four brands that I just mentioned. In my opinion, Tennessee has the second biggest brand in terms of fan base out of those four, only behind Duke. But I think their basketball brand is bigger than Ohio State, and I think their basketball brand is bigger than Texas. I do, and a lot of Texas's brand is tied to the man who's currently at Tennessee right now. Yeah, and like a lot of their history, their basketball history. We I mean I think we've talked about that in the past, and, and so. Like, I find it, that's actually, there's nothing more. Sometimes it's good to be mentioned. When a lot of these kids were have been going through the process, and you look up today, obviously this is a quick side, I mean, not a side note, but a quick aside, you know, when you see what happened with the uh, the Florida State kid, you know, choosing to go to Jackson State, um, a, a lot of, in football, obviously, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, when you get mentioned amongst these names, of the elite of the elite prospects, it is positive. It, you know, it may not ultimately be the best experience for these kids if they choose those decisions. See the masterpiece kid who's already in the portal from, uh, you know, from Tennessee State. But it's important to get mentioned there, and the fact that Tennessee's being mentioned that says a lot about what their brand is starting to become. Because I don't know what the connection is. Maybe he likes his time in Gatlinburg. I don't have a clue. I, I mean, I mean, I don't, but I don't need to know. You know, Duke makes sense because it's Duke. That's 
aside from Kentucky, Duke is the strongest brand in college basketball. To me, I would say I, I would say Kentucky and Duke are probably one and one A. Um, I would say Carolina and Kansas are like two, two and two A. That's just my opinion and how you kind of look at it. There, so Duke's obviously amazing brand. Ohio State basketball, eh, you know, like you've got good teams. Don't get me wrong, you've got right. good teams, and that's a great league, amazing league for basketball. Mm-hmm. But eh, you know, I, I just, uh, I just feel like that it's Ohio State at the end of the day. And Ohio State's still relevant enough in college football that that's still what you think of when you think of that school. Uh, Texas, I don't really understand. I don't need to understand. That's good. They're saying that's one of his four, and that's one of his four. But, um, but yeah, like I, I just, I just think that there's nothing negative that can come from this, from from this point forward. Mm-hmm. If it's true, if this kid puts out a Final Four list and has Tennessee as one of his four, now I mean it would probably behoove Tennessee to offer the kid. Just, just a thought there. I, I don't know, but <laughs> man, maybe, you know, maybe just be. You may need to go ahead and get an offer out there too. Um, I think that if you're mentioning that top four, that's only going to strengthen your brand. Like these, I mean, these teenage kids, they they gravitate to like other kids. Like you know, like my, Mikey Williams. I mean, like Bronny's not even the biggest brand in the 23 class. That would oh, be yeah, Mikey no. Williams. Yeah. Now, now Bronny's probably the biggest name. And obviously the most scrutinized because when you're being compared to your dad, it's really hard to live up to that. And I don't think, and I don't think that he's really necessarily being asked to by his father. I'm just saying that's what media does and that's what fans do is they expect him to be his dad and be the maybe one of the greatest high school basketball players we've ever seen. Um, so, you know, like that's he is. Such, he, he's such a brand. He's such a name, and, and I and I and I look at that and I'm thinking, man, that's nothing but positive momentum for this for this university. Like that's nothing but positive momentum for this program. And I don't know how much longer Rick Barnes is going to hang around, but I, again, I presume that you know he may even if he were nearing retirement, he gets a commitment from you know from LeBron James' kid. Eh, I think I can hang around one more year. <laughs> and just see what happens with that. Like Barnes is old enough and is uh, and seasoned enough that he knows how to handle that. Mm-hmm. Like he had the he had the number one or number actually I think he was the number two player in the country um, in his program, and that was you know like even if people had their concerns, people went to go watch Kevin Durant play. Yep. Everybody. I mean, people, again, I'll still see videos of Chris Lofton hitting the three over Kevin Durant and Thompson Bowling. What was that, 2007? Um, and that was 15 years ago. 15, yeah, like 15 seasons ago. And, like, it, you know, so Barnes has, and Barnes is not going to really just, you know, cater to the kid either. Like, mm-hmm. he's not going to say, well, come here. I mean, obviously recruiting pitches are huge, but he's not going to say, hey, come here, and I'll give you – You'll have a forty usage rate or whatever. Like you'll you'll always have the ball in your hand. He'll basically say you'll have a chance to come in and earn, you know, and get and be and be a difference maker for our program. And I think like if you are a kid like that, I don't think you have to be wooed. 
I don't think you have to be swayed. I think you have to be just told, like, something, some, maybe some honest truth, mm-hmm. and who knows what could happen. Because, I mean, like, a kid like that and a dad like that, you're not going to just – you can't just sweet talk people like that. Like, they just want to know, Coach, can you get my – can you give my kid the greatest year of his college, collegiate, his one year of collegiate life, and maybe more, and get him ready for the next level? And look at Tennessee's recent history. Uh, they're about to have, you know, I can question how what Tennessee Channel at the next level. Yeah, I mean, no, that's that's those are all good points, and I, I think like if there's there's somebody, a Tennessee coach who I would trust to be able to manage and know what to do with a big personality with a big time kid like that. It's Rick Barnes. I mean, he's coached so many of them at Texas. He's obviously coached already uh, several now at Tennessee and currently coaching a Kennedy Chandler right now, who is going to be an NBA player, no matter, you know, where he was drafted and whatnot. But I I also think you, you made a good point there about Tennessee getting mentioned just even right now, period, if Ronnie doesn't come to Tennessee or whatever, like even just getting mentioned right now and maybe even moving forward if it continues to, you know, if he continues to have interest in Tennessee with the programs that they got mentioned with, you look at the programs that, that are, you know, the other four there, Duke, Ohio State, Texas. Texas has multiple Final Four appearances. Ohio State has made it to the NCAA tournament championship game a couple of times and most recently in 2007. They have many Final Four appearances. Duke, clearly, you know, multiple national titles. Tennessee, one elite eight. I mean, if you're if you're giving that to you know, take off your orange colored sunglasses and you're giving that to or glasses, excuse me, you're giving that to somebody who isn't a Vol fan. You say which one of these is not like the other in men's basketball? It's Tennessee all day, every day. Like that. That's you know, without question. I know we talked about Rick Barnes kind of building that Texas program to what they are now, um, for the most part. But I still think you know, nationally, for a lot of the people they would pick Texas over Tennessee in men's basketball in terms of the more prestigious program. I think it's maybe a toss-up between those two. It, you could argue it. Maybe that's more of my my orange-colored glasses uh, knocking in there. But I, like you said, I, I just don't see a negative to Tennessee being mentioned here because, I, again, I ultimately don't think he ends up coming to Tennessee anyway, so I think it's all a moot point. But, yeah, I, I don't see a, a downside to that right now. But we, we've talked a lot about that. I'm sure I am... I am sure we'll talk about that at some point down the line again i'm sure i'll get it brought up i'm sure you know people listening to this will have questions or anything like that you, you guys are welcome to share your comments on it um and, and let us know what you think but i'm sure it'll get brought up at some point as long as is if he's ever you know still gets talked to i guess he won't talk to the media but if it ever gets brought up again where two or seven's there to watch him or your know, rivals is there to watch him or whatever i'm sure it'll get brought up again if, if as long as that information remains the same that tennessee is a team that he's interested in but, Jimmy, you look to actual on-the-court stuff for Tennessee uh, for the Vols this weekend. Playing Memphis in Nashville, and, of course, Gene, they, the Tigers picked the perfect time to go out and look their best they've looked all season as we're about to talk about this game this weekend. Uh, Memphis just went out and just thrashed Alabama in the second half and won 92-78 in FedEx Forum. A couple of things that concern me about that game that I, I look at, I, I didn't get to watch too much of it but I did get to see some highlights, and I obviously looked at the box score and stuff. Alabama, of course, is a prolific three-point shooting team under Nate Oates, but they were not very good last night shooting a three, and they can be stopped when they can't shoot threes. They were just 10 of 33 from three-point line against Memphis. That's a a 30% uh, percentage there. 
they obviously totaled 78 points. They shot 46% from the floor as a whole. Um, but really defensively is kind of where they got taken advantage of. They really missed Herb Jones there. I think this is the first game where I really thought that Alabama really, really missed that defensive presence that he brought. Um, and, and it showed with, with the way Memphis was able to do things offensively. And Alabama got, you know, they turned the ball over a lot. Turned it over 19 times. Uh, Memphis totaled as a team 12 steals. And you had Landers Nolly had four of them. And then DeAndre Williams had three. Gene, one of the biggest concerns I have about Tennessee is if they can't hit their threes, they're very beatable. And I don't think, I don't know that was anything Memphis did defensively. I haven't seen enough of the game to know that. I think it was more of a case just Alabama just couldn't hit shots. And we saw it happen. They lose by 14. I, I think it was a little bit closer than what the final score indicated, but Memphis led by five at halftime and were pretty much in control for most of the second half regardless. Um, they kind of ran away that they're late. But this is a, a huge win for Memphis, who is a team that was reeling. Uh, losing four straight and again I look at how Alabama lost and it concerns me because it makes me think about the Texas Tech game for Tennessee makes you think about the Villanova game for Tennessee where they struggled to shoot the three and Tennessee's posts couldn't do anything and they couldn't drive into the lane because the uh, the opponents there the Red Raiders and and Nova uh, both took away the lane and I look at Memphis's roster gene and they have a similar build in terms of a lot of long lengthy guys DeAndre Williams, 6'9", 190. Yamani Bates, 6'9", 190. Jalen Duran, 6'11", 250. Lester Quinones, 6'5", 205. Landers Nolley, 6'7", 220. So those are your, your four of their main five guys are really long, long arms, and, and have a lot of length, and I think are going to really, you know, cause Tennessee's post players issues. On the other hand, to not just be all doom and gloom for Tennessee here, uh, for the fans listening... This game is not in Memphis. Uh, for the most part this year, Memphis has looked you know, a lot better at home. They thrashed Tennessee Tech. They thrashed North Carolina Central. They beat St. Louis. They beat Western Kentucky, uh, which is a you know, pretty good program. They did lose to Murray State, uh, but then they ended up thrashing Alabama, a, a top-10 team. All those games were at home. The games where Memphis has looked the worst offensively and has looked the worst in general has been neutral site and away games. They won 69-61 in the neutral site at the Barclays Center against Virginia Tech. They lost to Iowa State in the Barclays Center. They lost on the road to Georgia, on the road to Ole Miss. This game, away from FedEx Forum. And I think that's going to be interesting to me is seeing what the fan division's like in Nashville and Bridgestone, Gene, because is it going to be a true 50-50 split? Because most of the time when there's a Nashville game for basketball, for football, Vol fans travel really well. I think Nashville's a really weird mix of fandoms at this point, but I think Tennessee still is even slightly still the dominant fandom in Middle Tennessee, so I, I think it's going to be Tennessee, you know, heavy Tennessee crowd, but I fully expect there to be a large contingent of Memphis fans there. It's not going to be a true home game for Tennessee. It's going to be, um, I think, a, a still a, a large enough crowd of Memphis fans there. to They're going to make their voices heard. So I, I think that plays in Tennessee's favor that Memphis has not played well away from FedEx Forum. But then you could say the same thing about Tennessee, that a lot of their games that they've played the worst in have been games away from Thompson Bowling Arena. Uh, they did beat Colorado on the road and, and, you know, had a really good defensive performance there. But they had their worst – they had a really bad shooting game against Villanova. Of course, that awful uh, shooting performance against Texas Tech, that was a neutral site game. But they did play uh, well and beat North Carolina at neutral site. So Tennessee is basically a 2-2 two and two in neutral slight uh, in, away from Thompson Bowling and one really good game, two very bad ones, and one not bad game at all. 
I, this game to me, we talked about it last time we did a podcast, Gene. I mentioned that even with Memphis being on a losing streak, and I fully expected them to lose to Bama at that point, this game still worried me for a lot of reasons. And I think that Bama game, to me, shows why my my worry was founded. Or, you know, that I, 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 feel, I feel vindicated in my worry about this game because they have length. If Tennessee misses the three and can't shoot from three away from Thompson Bowling, where does the offense come from? I do think Tennessee's defense is a lot better than Alabama's, so I think they can do things to Memphis that Alabama couldn't. But, Gene, this this game went from Vol fans, I think, feeling really confident about it because of the way Memphis was playing to now all of a sudden thinking, uh-oh, you know, this is definitely not going to be – Tennessee's going to be favored, and I think Tennessee should still win. But Memphis has that, that talent, and they have a lot of matchups that present a lot of problems for Tennessee. And, and we're getting into the schedule now. We mentioned it. Up top of the show, no more cupcakes. Uh, t- Memphis is a top 50 Ken Palm team. Arizona is a top 20, I think. Alabama, obviously, a top 20. Um, but th- 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 I think, you know, 322nd uh, for USC Upstate, you ain't got a, you know, there isn't a team that is ranked outside the top 100 of the Ken Palm rankings between now and February 22nd for Tennessee. And that's when they play Missouri, who's, I think, 150 or somewhere around there right now. But. Gene, I, this game still worries me, and I think um, I think Tennessee should win, but man, uh, <laughs> we'll see. Like I, I I I'm still very excited about this game, but it definitely I'm not chalking it up to a W. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think I, I think regardless of what had transpired in the early part of the season, the timing of this game is very was always going to be very interesting because you kind of look at those first like eight to ten games as an opportunity to kind of figure out who you are um and penny made some changes i think that's where this thing changed i think i, I was reading uh monty Bates did not play like down the stretch of that game yesterday yeah he, and he, he only played in uh, 15 minutes so that game total yeah so you look and then you look at some of the stats of that game and it kind of looked like alabama was tired uh they jacked you know they, they took 21 threes in the second half they had a 36 shots like 60 of their shots in the second half or threes. And I get some of that's just, you know, a desperation pitcher behind. But when you start getting away from what works for you, then you actually kind of feed into a team like Memphis, uh, who is looking for you know, was looking for something. I think that's what always gets lost in basketball is you got you get a lot of people who judge basketball like they would football and they hinge a lot on one game and you can't do that in basketball or and sometimes you know, three even three to five games. And you can't do that in basketball. Like, you, you want to, but, like, it's an entire resume. And, like, we can question. I mean, like, the gaps, if you have experienced mid-major programs, and I've seen this from both sides, if you have ex- good, experienced mid-major programs, then, like, they can beat a team like Memphis that's struggling to figure out its way. And that happens. You know, Murray State is the 10th-ranked um, mid-major program in the country. Um, I only know that because I'm, you know, I'm sorry, folks. I'm on my way up to Nashville to see Belmont play UTC. Belmont's ranked seventh in that poll, and UTC is eighth. Uh, that Belmont team beat Iona, who beat Alabama earlier in the season. If you have season teams, which a lot of your mid-major, better mid-majors are, then they will. I mean, they have an opportunity to kind of knock off some of those teams like Memphis, who are trying to figure out an identity. Uh, yeah, I think they played, you know, Memphis went with the kid, his name DeAndre, um, mm-hmm. maybe Williams. I'm sorry yep. if I've forgotten the name completely. 
who is probably one of their better players last year, and that kid went on, I think, at like 20 points yesterday. Yep, so 20 points, start, six assists, yeah. three steals, three rebounds. Yeah, so you start figuring things out about yourself. You start figuring out what works. And, yeah, you may, be, you may spend five to ten games trying to, you know, see if these once-in-a-generation type talents can figure it out. And there's still a place for kids like that on your roster, but at some point, if you're Penny, you got to go with, like, kind of your more known guys. And it seems like that's at least for last night, that's what he did. Now, will he do that going forward, or will because this is a high-profile game on a neutral side against an in-state opponent, will he try to show off Bates and Duran and and those guys? Uh, I don't know, but I do think this is always going to be a game because it what it hasn't been like. Uh, I feel like Memphis can be good under Penny. Their issues have been on the offensive side. And you're talking about a Tennessee team that, for the most part, I mean, let's call it, let's call it like it is, folks. For the most part this season, in these uh, in these bigger games, they've been largely one-dimensional. You know, they've been trying. You know, they've been chasing threes. Now, I mean, like I'm not judging you. I'm not. I've always, always say I'm not judging you on USC Upstate. I'm not judging you on UNC Greensboro. What I what I feel after watching Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee's team play a handful of times is uh, they're good defensively. Not great, but they're good defensively. And they ha- they haven't quite fully figured out what they're going to be if they're not making three. Because the three, like, they, like they've used their outside game to kind of open up some of the other stuff as opposed to the reverse being the case. Uh, which you know, I think you know, Barnes and Tennessee have done some in years past, where they kind of use and try to demand that you get the ball inside, by in, in some way, shape, or form, to kind of open up uh, some of that, you know, some of the three-point shooting and stuff. I mean, I still remember a lot of a lot of uh, Admiral Schofield assists that were assisted by Grant Williams, um, and so like I, I think you're looking at a team offensively that. I think Tennessee maybe has an identity, but I'm not sure that's an identity that they are comfortable with. I'm not sure that's a style that they played. And like going up going up against a team like Memphis, who also was probably still having some you know, some issues. I think that uh, the game will basically come down to is you know sometimes it's just who which player goes out and makes the play to win a game of that magnitude. Because, you know, I think Tennessee has a better point guard. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure if there's specifically a position interior uh, that either team has an advantage. I think Memphis has an advantage on the interior because I think Duran is pretty good. Uh, and, like, it'll really, to me, it'll come down to which guy just makes the plays. I'm not saying goes and plays hero ball, but which guy goes out and makes the sorts of plays that you have to make to win a game like that because I still am not 100% sure if what Tennessee's doing is sustainable in games where they're not hitting shots. And because they haven't proven, I mean, I get the North Carolina game, but I've seen I've seen three games against the type of teams that Tennessee's going to have to beat to advance in March. They lost two of them. And, like, you look at some of those numbers from those three games, they haven't been beautiful. Um, yeah. I, I know I, I looked earlier, 
Um, and I feel like they made 19 shots against uh, Villanova. I believe they made 19 shots against Tennessee Tech, and I don't remember the Carolina game, but that was an ambush. So they were all positive stats for the most part. Uh, Colorado's a team that's trying to figure some stuff out, and then you've got everybody else. Uh, and if I'm forgetting somebody else to dangle, then I'm sorry. I don't really remember them playing any other sort of, like, really good team. Uh, yeah, I mean, Texas yeah. Tech's good, but, I, I mean, that was yeah. – we, we talked about kind of I'm, tossing that one out of the into the garbage last week, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think you get past Texas. To me, I'm judging you on Texas Tech, Carolina, and Villanova. Those are the three right now. Now, obviously, you mentioned earlier at the beginning, uh, they are um, like they're done with all the UNCGs and, and those sorts of schools, the, mm-hmm. the the in-state directional school teams, whatever. They're they're done with all those. Like everything. Now, you've now had, I think, 10 or so games to kind of figure out exactly what you are. And so now's the time to strap it on because you're done with the teams where you can get some of those guys and you can maybe figure some stuff out. We're about to see exactly what Rick Barnes thinks of his rotation and the guys that he feels comfortable with and confident in. And he, he has a tendency to default to the guys he feels confident in so we're going to really see I think on Saturday and beyond who those guys are Guys, you, know, you need production from guys like Olivier do they feel comfortable in, ga- in the games of some level of magnitude with him uh, Huntley Hatfield same thing mm-hmm. I don't mention Fulkerson because you know he's something you don't know I mean you know he's a good basketball player You know, and you know he's going to be consistently whatever he is like that may be eight and six, that may be fifteen and seven, in a game like that, that may be seven and seven. Um, I don't know, but you you feel comfortable in Fulkerson because he's had multiple years of production, positive production. I'm stunned that kid. I don't I don't know how close that kid is to a thousand points. But I feel like he should be at least getting <laughs> remotely close. I, and I'm sorry if he's already gone over the thousand point mark, but I hadn't seen anything about that. But I figured five years of playing basketball now, this being his fifth, I think, year, sixth year of college, whatever it is. I mean, but anyway. He, like he's not there yet. He is, he is very close. I'm trying to pull up his stats to see how, just how close. But okay. he's, he's in like the 900-something range right now. Okay. Okay. So, uh, and so, like, those are the three kind of bigs that you kind of feel confident in. Uh, and do you feel confident in, in Huntley Hatfield in a game like this? Who knows? I remember talking to – Josiah um, two seasons ago, when, right before they played Memphis and Knoxville, and he, one of the things he mentioned was these are the sorts of games that you know, like you want to play, and like if you're a kid, of, like if you're a kid like him, who was a five-star prospect and played in all those high-profile games, all-star games, and played on the on the biggest stages of AAU tournaments, then yeah, like you want to perform well in those games, and I think the same thing will apply with, like, a Huntley Hatfield. The Kennedy Chandler, who obviously is from um, you know, like, that'll be interesting for having well enough to stay on the court. Can Bailey play well with the the minutes he's kind of given? Will we see uh, the number one point guard in the country, you know, be that on Saturday? I I, I have no reason to doubt it. I mean, he's been really good this season. What does Josiah Jordan-James do? Like, that's those are the questions that when I have a chance to sit down and watch that game, because that game kicks off uh, – not kicks, wow, wrong sport, tips. That game kicks off at what time? 
at noon Eastern. Noon. So I, okay, I can actually see that. So, uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing just what transpires in that game. They start jacking a bunch of threes in the game. I'm not going to feel good about their chances. But if they're able to run some stuff and get into, I don't even care if they're making the shot. I think too many times we get wrapped up in a, a team that has a hot shooting start and maybe gets comfortable in that because maybe they've hit 8 of 11 in the first half. But then you start looking and you're like, okay, well, this team only averages making six threes a game. They're 8 of 11. and They shoot 40% from three. So 8 of 11 could easily end up being 8 for 21 when it's all said and done. And that's a horrible second half of shooting. So um, it's going to be interesting to watch exactly how that whole thing plays out because this is a big game, man. Like, this is a big game. that They split the first two meetings. They each won another right. team's court. Like, this matters, man. This is like this is what – this is the fun part of the college basketball season that so many people will lose sight of because they only look at March. Like, you can, I can I – can, two things can be true. I can say – I can be like so many others and say that uh, March is what truly matters when it comes to college basketball while also saying that what you do between in November, December, January, and February, as far as the actual season is concerned, that stuff is mat- that stuff matters tremendously because it's all giving you information as to how good you can be in March. Like you typically don't see teams like UCLA last year may have been like you know like the exception to this, but you typically don't see teams who aren't any good who never really show signs of promise throughout the season, who all of a sudden in March. Now, you see Cinderella's, but those are, that's mm-hmm. typically, those are typically teams who have always been good, but we, you know, but a large part of the country is just ignored because they're not playing in the SEC or the ACC or the Pac-12, whatever, whatever the bigger leagues are. Uh, but it, it, it's rare. So, if like, you're building throughout the course of the regular season – who you are, and if, if Tennessee can win, if Tennessee can figure this stuff out and win this game, that's going to be positive information that they can take into Arizona and beyond. Because I still think this yep. is a good team. I just don't know exactly what they are. By the way, Fulgerson has 950 points. So here, in the next okay. probably four or five games, he'll he'll eclipse it. But you know, to go back really quickly here before we end the show, you mentioned a guy who I, I was absolutely going to bring up, and that was Brandon Huntley Hatfield. Because this is a game where I really want to see what he does. I, I, I wonder if the last couple of games, you know, we've seen it, you know, especially against USC Upstate. Rick Barnes played a bunch of guys and a bunch of guys early. We saw Jemai Meshack get in there early. We saw Quentin Debonje get some earlier minutes than he normally does. Um, we saw, you know, Barnes clear the bench a lot. I don't know that anybody played more than uh, 25, 26 minutes in that Upstate game because, you know, this is your last chance to get some of those young guys playing time and the last chance to really figure some things out before you're, you know, figuring things out result in a loss for you. But I, I wonder if the last couple games for Tennessee has been kind of trying to prepare Huntley Hatfield and getting him more minutes. And he's he's looked good, but again, it's, it's been against UNC Greensboro. It's been against USC Upstate. But against Greensboro, he had 12 points, two offensive rebounds, and a steal and a block in 16 minutes. And against USC Upstate, he played 19 minutes, got six points, eight rebounds, an assist, and a steal. So, I mean, he... And he shot pretty well in both those games, 6 of 10 against Greensboro and 3 of 7 um, against Upstate. And I think he no, he, didn't, he didn't attempt any free throws in either of those games. 
But I think this is a game that I really want to see what steps can Huntley Hatfield take. Can he play 15 effective minutes in this game? Because he, he's not played a lot of minutes in a lot of Tennessee's bigger games this year. You look at Villanova, he played 12 minutes, had two points, two boards. I will say against UNC, that's the most minutes he's played so far this year. Played 23, had six points, five rebounds, a steal and a block. But so, you know, pretty productive minutes. Uh, you'd like to see maybe score a little bit more, but Tennessee won that game handily, so it doesn't matter. But against Colorado, he only played eight minutes, and against Texas Tech, he only played four. And he did not he did not look ready for the moment against Colorado, or excuse me, against Texas Tech. He played okay in the eight minutes. He was in, in there against Colorado. He did miss most of the shots, uh, but he grabbed three boards. But he's a guy that I, I, you mentioned Tennessee's post. I want to see, can he be productive in 15 to 18 minutes? Can Kamwa be productive? You know, again, it's one thing to go score 21 points against USC Upstate. Can he go out there and give you 10 and 7, 10 and 8 with a, a block or two against Memphis? Can he be a productive post player who can hold his own against very gifted, athletic, um, long big men? You know, you mentioned Fulkerson. I, I feel pretty confident that he's not going to go out and, and drop a, a 2.4 rebound performance. I think he'll give you between 6 to 12 points and between, um, you know, 5 to 7 to 8 rebounds in this game. I, I, I just I think he will because I think he'll play with aggressiveness. And I don't think, aside from, uh, what's his face, aside from Williams? No, aside from Jalen Duran, excuse me, you know, Memphis doesn't have a, a true bruising big man. Duran's 6'11", 250. So that's not a, a great matchup for Fulkerson, but that's not a bad matchup for um for Ur not Urosh, goodness, for Huntley Hatfield. Speaking of Urosh, that's who I want to see Huntley Hatfield get the minutes from. I don't, I don't really want to see Urosh Pashik much in this game at all, unless he has to for some reason. But those are the guys, that, Kamwa and Huntley Hatfield are the guys I'm really circling in this game to see what can they do, because if they can get anything, if they can be efficient, they don't have to go out and, and drop 15 points. You know, Either one of them doesn't have to go do that. But they can be efficient, if they can you know, get in the heads of a DeAndre Williams, of, of a Jalen Duran, if they can, you know, be good defensively. Because I think Huntley Hatfield's biggest area, he has to improve his defense. Because there's a couple times I saw him get frustrated against USC Upstate because he, he missed the defensive assignment or he, he didn't just go straight up. He decided to jump and get the foul called on him. He's got to be getting better on defensively. But I think to me it's clear that Rick Barnes has played him more last couple games to try to get more out of him to see what he can do. And he's looked good. And I, I, I hope he's bought in to being a post player because that's been a conversation you and I both have had a lot on this podcast is you know does he want to be a true four or five does he want to be a true post player and he's done a little bit more of it the last couple games but, but can he do it and will he want to do it in games like Memphis and Arizona and Alabama because those are those are the games where Tennessee is going to need him to play like that and you know do the dirty messy things that he hasn't done you know I, I don't know about high school but he hasn't really done a whole lot of that yet for Tennessee so um, I feel like there was one more point I was going to make, but maybe not. But hey, as we just said, the, the tip-off on Saturday between Tennessee and Memphis is noon Eastern time. And then Tennessee after that has Arizona on December 22nd. Uh, so not an easy schedule. And then I think on – let me pull up the schedule really quick. I think on December 29th is when they play Alabama, I want to say. Yes, Alabama. So that's a – Arizona is a 7 o'clock tip-off in Knoxville on Wednesday, December 22nd. And then a week from that, Wednesday, December 29th, is at Alabama at 9 o'clock. And then Tennessee hosts Ole Miss to kick off 2022 on Wednesday, January 5th. So we're going to have a, the big breaks in between games starting next week. We'll have Wednesday, Arizona, another week, Wednesday, Alabama, another week, Wednesday, Ole Miss. That's because it's holiday season, you know, Christmas and New Year's. So, but, Gene, I think that's where we'll go ahead and end this podcast. I, actually, one more thing before we end here. I should have done this on top of the show, and I might do it again 
at the top of the show next podcast. But we got another review on Apple Podcasts. We have up to 10 five-star reviews, so thank you all so much. But we have an actual written one here uh, from Ray Steely. Long-time basketball fan, great information. Love having access to UT Basketball Insight Weekly. Thankful for the Lady Balls portion of the pod as well. All fall fans should follow. So, Ray, thank you so much. Really appreciate the kind words. Appreciate you listening and leaving a review as well. If you want to go do that, we'll read yours on air. I may read uh, Ray's at the beginning of the Lady Balls podcast I'll be doing hopefully later this week. Uh, if you want yours read on air, go leave us a written review and go give us a five-star review while you're there too. Signing off for Gene, I'm Nathaniel. If you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel, please do that. Until hey, next time, this has been... Way, one, last, one last thing. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Just one last thing. Uh, shout out to Candace Parker. Um, yes. Obviously, yeah. Big, yeah, I know. You know major shout out to Candace Parker. Congratulations. Uh, I don't no need to go into detail. I mean, like, obviously, uh, it's a beautiful time for her. And, uh, you know, certainly a shout out to her for everything that she's got going on right now. She's been amazing in media. Uh, she's been amazing in life. She was amazing at Lady Ball, and uh, she deserves all the flowers and times like this. So, I mean, definitely a big shout-out. Congratulations to everything she's got going on. Absolutely. So her, her daughter Layla is about to be a sister here soon for all you who may not have known. So, yeah, that, that's a really good way to end the podcast. So thank you, Gene, for that, that note there. appreciate that. Now, signing off for Gene, I'm Nathaniel, and this has been another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Subscribe to the show so you'll never miss another episode 